Welcome back to the big show. This is As Lutheran As It Gets, episode 74. As always, we are your pilots, Christopher Gillespie. Max Headroom, glitching a little bit, but I'm here. All right. <laughs> and I am Donald Morelli, as far as I know. Hmm. This week, we're going to dive back into uh, Dr. Norman Nagel, our beloved Dr. Nagel, and his uh, doctoral thesis, Luther's Understanding of Christ and the Lord's Supper. And as we discussed last week, we're going to plunge ahead into the matter of, well, the Lord's Supper, obviously, but also then our relation to Christ in the Lord's Supper, Mm. or Christ's relation to us, which is really the foundation. It's the first premise, if you want, of, or at least it's the primary question that Luther always asks, uh, theologically speaking, whether it's his exegesis or his lectures on doctrine, his debates, what is Christ's relationship to me? Mm, okay. That's the primary question. And so for him, then, the Lord's Supper is one of those primary interaction points. Right. It would probably be, you can even argue it's the foundation, it's the touchstone. It's it's the quintessential gospel, as we're about to hear. Yeah, and I uh, that's not my been my experience growing up in the Lutheran Church. Um, I think we maybe have gotten away from that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's true. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, we had a baptism emphasis, at least in the parish I grew up in. So maybe mm-hmm. not as strong as I would do today, but but still, there was it was there. Um, but a sacramental conversation, I mean, we barely even covered it mm-hmm. in like confirmation instruction. No, no. Yeah, I would say coming into the Lutheran Church when I was 27 and in Minnesota, and then when I lived out in Oregon, um, I didn't even grasp the importance of the sacraments until probably seminary when I started reading Lutheran doctrine Mm. more seriously Mm -hmm. and really digging into the history, not just Lutheran doctrine, but just church doctrine in general. And especially when I read Herman Sase, for example, and Ehlert. Sure. And then later when I discovered uh, Nagel and Masaki and uh, Professor Pless, John Pless, it, you know, and, and then going backwards, discovering Athanasius, Irenaeus, and others, then I realized, oh, th- this is actually pretty important. In fact, it's the central theme. I would say for myself anyways, in my experience, the sermon was always emphasized as the central thing oh, in yeah. Sunday worship. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Which, it, for those of you who don't know, it, that's the influence of Protestantism. Right. And that's what I was going to suggest, too, is that I think the lack of sacram- sacramental, speci- well, not just baptism, but especially the Lord's Supper, is a result of, you know, pietism and rationalism on the Lutheran Church. Sure, absolutely. Because, yeah, when, it, when, it, when you push the sacraments to the background, baptismal vocation, for example, or the relationship of the Lord's Supper to baptismal vocation in the life of the Christian in worship, but also in their vocations, and you get this this kind of gap between the two kingdoms, right? Where church is where you do church stuff, and then out there in the world you do works. <laughs> you know, you 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 show that you're grateful for what Jesus did for you, and and you serve God and, and try and fulfill His will and live obedient lives and be good Christians. Um, you see the influence of Protestantism coming in then more and more than in the worship service when it becomes more and more about our works and what we're doing and not doing yeah. and less and less about necessarily what Jesus is doing in the present tense. Hmm. Because I know, again, in my experience, the sermons were about what Jesus did in the past and then what the Christian is doing in the present. 
Whereas sacramentally, we would argue it's all about what Jesus is doing in the present tense and what the Spirit is doing in the present tense. Third article, as it's explained in the catechisms kind of way. And then obedience and works and vocation, they fall into place more organically because you is, I think it was um, uh, probably Dr. Nagel, and he probably got it from Luther Asaze, is that the Spirit pours us into the church to receive the body and blood of Jesus, and then we're poured out of the church into the world hmm. as messengers of the good yeah, news. Yeah, well, that's good. But that, yeah, I think lacking us, and I would argue that for myself, if you were to ask, well, what is your piety? I would argue staunchly it's <laughs> sacramental piety. <laughs> yeah. Period. Yeah. That everything that I do, everything that I think about is is based on the the pronouncement, I am a baptized child of God. But what about teaching? What about the word of God? You know? Yeah, that all springs from that. Uh, I know. <laughs> well, and it all leads to that too. Water, spirit. Right? And it all leads to that, exactly. Well, there's some water right here. Why can't I just baptize you right here? Exactly. When we were talking about this in regards to like my Bible study, and a little controversial question came up about, you know, the fact that I was I'm hearing a text, John 4, by the way, is the text, as explicitly sacramental. There's water, and there's the bridegroom, and they're talking marriage, right. they're talking about worship. And then it was like, no, it's just, it's just a co casual conversation. It's not like sacramental. And you're like, Bleh. I was taken aback by it. It's like, how could it, how could you not read it that way? Right. Well, it's actually to your point then, I remember having a conversation with our friend and the friend of Higher Things, Pastor uh, Bill Swirla, William Swirla. And Swirla asked the question, you know why the, the Last Supper, the sacrament, isn't in the Gospel of John like it is in the other Gospels? I'm like, mm. why? He's like, because the entire Gospel is sacramental. Yep. There's not a chapter in John's Gospel that does not touch upon baptism or the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. The entire Gospel is sacramental from chapter one to the end. Yeah. Like you can't escape it. Well, and the other aspect of that, which is the emphasis of the sacraments, is it's don't go there, don't go there, stay with me, stay with Jesus, you know, or come to Jesus. Right. 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 Yeah. And, or there's right. Jesus, go to him. That That's the emphasis too, mm -hmm. is the location of true worship is now in Jesus, where he is. Right. And that, again, going back to the woman at the well. Right. Where's the location of true worship? Right here where I'm sitting. I am the object of worship. I am the word of God. And I am the one who delivers the promise for you, yeah. for the forgiveness of sin. Yeah, and he, he even does it. He says, the husband you have with you, or the husband who, who you have, you do not yet have. Who's with you? <laughs> That's me. Yeah. Crazy that way. So let's dive into Nagel on that point then. We, uh, we're on page 168 of his, of his thesis. This is again available through Lulu. Well, uh, Post a link in the show notes for you if you'd like to purchase this. Mm -hmm. Dr. Nagel writes, the Eucharist is concentrated and quintessential gospel, which imparts God's grace and the forgiveness of all sins, which is given us because Christ suffered. Grace is no more the gratia justificationis. I'm trying to pronounce Latin this morning. <laughs> <on Monday. laughs> yeah. Justificationis. There we nice. go which inflicts spiritual death and sufferings so that man is righteous by taking these in humility conformed to the pattern of Christ's suffering. It is favor dei, the favor of God, mm -hmm. the delight of God, or the grace of God, actually. Grace and favor can be used synonymously. Sure. The, the saving suffering is not man's suffering, as Christ suffered, but the suffering of Christ. So I'll read that again. The saving suffering is not man's suffering, 
that's a part of late medieval piety to uh -huh. suffer as Jesus suffered. Right. To share his suffering, to participate in it. In fact, in late medieval theology, by coming to the mass and celebrating the mass, you are participating with Jesus in his suffering, transtemporally, they call it. Yeah. So your presence is a sacrifice. You're making a sacrifice by being there. Yes. Mm. This is not man's suffering as Christ suffered. It's the suffering of Christ himself. Man is not directed to a process God works out in him. And again, this is the point of late medieval piety is all of this is happening in me, hmm. which is problematic. We call that enthusiasm, <laughs> God within ism, is that my suffering is Christ's sufferings. And therefore, by coming to the mass, I suffer with Christ. And therefore, my suffering in and of itself, the sacrifice of my suffering is the thing. So it's all about you. Right. The mass, the, the elements just become kind of go juice or a sign that it's happening. Well, and uh, over time, the term the mass actually falls out of favor. And I think it's because of that, because it emphasizes the people. Right. Yeah. Good point. So Nagel continues, the achievement of salvation was by Christ's suffering on Calvary. As the achievement of grace and forgiveness are outside man and through what Christ did, so also they're acquiring. Grace and forgiveness happened outside of us in Christ. Oh, did you want to acquire those? <laughs> well, that happens outside of you too. It's, it's over there on the altar. Go take and eat, mm -hmm. take and drink. For you. For you, and exactly, specifically for you, because these two little words for you require all hearts to believe. Mm. And this, by the way, he writes, is by Christ's giving. You don't take them, you don't earn them, you don't deserve them, they're given. And this goes back to what I was saying then, is that how does sacramental piety influence one's vocation? Because once you receive the word in the bread and the wine, under the bread and wine, to his body and blood, you then, it is revealed to you, receive everything right. from the word. Your life. Christ giving, you're receiving. Exactly. That every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above through his word. So not just the sacrament is gift. My, my breath is gift. My flesh and blood is gift. The things in my life are gift. My friends are gift. My family, everything is right. gift. Even my afflictions then can be gift. The crosses <laughs> that he lays upon me can be gift so long as they're received in relation to Jesus giving himself to us in the sacrament. Right, right. But cut those two things apart and what happens? Well, probably what we see in most congregational life, which is, I think people understand themselves in terms of, this is my sacrifice for God. My presence, my money, sure. yeah, that's how they view even something we call stewardship, which should be the other way around, God giving our receiving, mm -hmm. that's what that actually means. But we think of it in right. terms of our sacrifice of time, talents, and treasure. Right. Right. That you got it backwards. He's giving you he's right. giving you everything you need for this congregation, for your life, for your home. Right. You know? Which is another consequence of the for you is it sets you free from the burden of always throwing back at God what he gave you to give to your mm. neighbor. Right. And is that I don't have to come to the Lord's table and say, look what I brought today. But rather, the Lord says, no, we're free of all this ticket punching, counting up the cost, measuring the scales, balancing everything out, keeping the ledger clean. We're free from all that now. Mm -hmm. I don't need your money. I don't need your talent. I don't need your time. But you know who does? Your neighbor. 
it's like I said yesterday in Bible study, God doesn't need the light bill paid. Your neighbor does. Mm -hmm. God doesn't need to know that we have enough wafers and enough wine for everybody who's here. Your neighbor does. But the prop. <laughs> God doesn't care how many people are in Sunday school. <laughs> the, the problem is, I think for folks that, uh, yes, the Lord has prepared for you works to do, right? He's given you neighbors and he's given you the means to provide right. for them. Beforehand. Beforehand. Yeah. But he doesn't actually prescribe exactly. what that actually looks like. That that's the Pharisaical move, right. right? Is to say, well, here's here's what's necessary, it's not, it, right? Yes. And it's and it's in a like a, it's, right. it's really in a kind of they think of it in terms of a maximal way, but it's really a minimal way. It's like here's what we have to do in order to stay within God's favor, right? Yeah. Right. If just your grandkids are in Sunday school, or there's a hundred kids on, in Sunday school, guess what? They're all gift, right? They are they are given to you by God. So whether you preach the gospel to one person or a thousand people or a million people, you're still preaching the same gospel. You're still delivering the same sacrament for the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Mm. Mm. Numbers don't matter. So once we're set free from the burden of bookkeeping and numbers and counting, now we can turn to our neighbor and say, what can I do for you? The ones who are already there before you, not the ones that you wish you had. Yeah. There's there's a whole there's a whole bunch of pitfalls in doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the old Adam loves to invite his favorite people to church. Right. It's just that sometimes your favorite people aren't always faithful or oops believe. Yeah, true. Right. So Nagel continues then, since this is a, you know we acquire this through Christ, grace and forgiveness are outside of us. This is by Christ giving. What goes for achieving goes for acquiring also. Man does not acquire; he is given to. The manner of giving embodies the same truth. So the giving and the acquiring or receiving, as we would say, are all done outside of us by Christ. Right. And that answers the question, well, what's necessary to receive the Lord's Supper? Faith in these words. But even the faith to receive right. these words and to believe them, that is given too. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. How have I been called? By the gospel. Who, 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 who is it that called me? It's the Holy Spirit through his preachers. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, but again, we're offended by that. We can accept giving. Oh, it's a gift. Great. But I still have to say thank you, right? <laughs> well, no, because saying thank you is actually a work of the Spirit too. Because mm -hmm. you don't know how to pray as you ought to. Romans 8. Yeah. So again, we're off the hook. It's fantastic news. It's great. It's astounding news. I don't have to worry about whether I'm living up to Jesus's expectations of me. Now I'm free to go live up to my neighbor's expectations of me, hopefully. Yeah. Again. So like if we asked a question about sacramental piety, like, well, how must I receive it? That that Those sorts of questions actually betray this idea that, that we have to somehow, we're, we're collaborative in it, mm -hmm. or, or our piety has some sure. effect on its efficaciousness. That's actually right. redundant, but. It still becomes, it, yeah, it, it, it defaults to the transaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Even even if it's just amen, we still have that. That's still a transaction. Well, I've got to say amen, right? right? No, you're not. You, you don't gotta. You're just going to because that's the work of the Spirit. Right. Or like receiving it in the hand or in the mouth or, yeah. Right. Or like you said things. earlier or a little bit ago, it, it, it doesn't bother us what Paul writes in Ephesians about our good works being, you know, set out for us beforehand. The thing that offends us is it's not prescriptive. Yeah, you didn't give us the rule book or, like, or the playbook. Yeah. Right. Right. So he says then that the manner of giving embodies the same truth. Luther's positive statement of the mass simply leaves no room for man 
to offer anything that might affect God's favor. Oops. This means rejection of the Mass as essentially sacrifice. There is no record of his propounding this. For so long a time he is silent about this. That was central in the contemporary understanding of the Mass. He says things incompatible with it. He speaks of the way it can be called a sacrifice, but only in 1520 does he come out against it full blast. Hmm. The Mass had been turned upside down. It is little wonder, therefore, that a man like Luther hesitated so long before such a formidable task. Yet if Christ is the initiator and giver, and man the receiver in the Mass, then it is a flat reversal <laughs> and contradiction of this to assert that man brings or offers anything that affects God's favor. Wow. And there it is. We probably missed this at some point, or it got forgotten. This is, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, because, this is the offense. Well, because regardless of whether it's a very sacramental kind of church, like a Roman church, mm -hmm. or it's a Protestant church, it's kind of asacramental, um, they all have the mm -hmm. same ethic as far as how they relate to God, that it's that we live a sacrificial life for God. Correct. Right? And that's primarily what the Christian faith is. Mm -hmm. It's all about me. Mm. It's all about you. Which, when you read Galatians, for example, and there's neither slave nor free Jew nor Greek and so forth, we're all united in Christ. And to step back in an earthly vocational sense, uh, we're all born the same way. We all die the same way. We all fall in love the same way. Mm -hmm. We all think the same way. There's nothing that I've ever said or thought or done that a million other people haven't replicated before, during, and after yeah. I'm here on yeah. earth. And that can be crushing existentially to know that you're not a snowflake. Well, and where it's really devastating is where you see like, oh, I don't know, like the mass shootings that as we're recording, this was just over the weekend, right. you, know, um, you know, a couple dozen dead. Two more. Yeah, just shootings. And you're like, mm. and they're like, how could such a thing happen? My answer is, I don't know if you've looked into your own heart that well. Right. You yeah. know, your own capacity for that exactly. kind of either mental illness, possibly, or um, just obsessive, mm -hmm. um, a you know, distorted worldview, you know, getting caught right. up in a movement or, Well, you know. getting caught up and attaching your identity to other people's, how they talk mm, about you right. or how they treat you, these kinds of things. And then you get, let's say you feel cornered, for example, because of the way that people perceive you and the way they express that right. to you. How do you escape your own conscience? Mm. Well, you can't but there's something you can do to stop the sound, mm -hmm. to stop the yep. noise, and that's to lash out. Mm. And that's the thing, is that we attach ourselves to things that aren't us, and we attach ourselves to people that aren't God, they're not our savior. And then when it becomes overwhelming, like you said, and you haven't really searched the depths of your own heart, or other people's hearts then, as a consequence, then when they say these things and they do these things to you, it can be crushing, obviously. It can be almost annihilating, dehumanizing, we call mm. it. How do you gain back your humanity? How do you take back choice and, and take back the decisions about who you're gonna be and who you wanna be? You have to silence all the other voices that tell you that's not who you are. It's either that. Especially when they're destructive and negative. Uh, it's either that or God sends you a preacher to speak outside of you, uh, into you, and tell you who, who you actually are in him. Right. In Jesus. Right. Mm -hmm objective outside of you facts like you're a baptized child of god mm -hmm. there were witnesses this is the body and blood of christ for you coming from outside of you to you and by the way there's witnesses to your left and your right and front and center mm -hmm. mm. that's all your pastor is at the end of the day i'm just a witness i'm an instrument yeah. the channel 
that God tunes into and goes, here, this guy's a witness. This is for you. Yeah, and it's not. And if you're confused, call him on the phone tomorrow and he'll remind you. It's not your truth or my truth. It's, it's God's truth. God's honest truth, I guess, is what we say. <laughs> 100%. That's why, that's why it has to be not only objective, but public. Mm, right. It's not secret. Again, this isn't a mystery cult. And it's, it's objective. It's not in your pastor's heart. It's not in your heart. It's not in your parents or the elders or anybody. This is the word of God. And if you know anything about human nature, the words of institution, for example, mm -hmm. it's truly an act of God that we still have them intact after 2,000 years of meddling. Yeah. Because wow. I've, been to, I've been to Sunday morning worship services where a pastor has riffed the words of institution before. Yeah. And that was, mm -hmm. I can count on one hand the times that's happened in the last 22 years. But my point is, let's just add 2,000 years onto those 22 years, <laughs> give or take. Well, you've also avoided places where you would expect such things to happen as well. <laughs> well, I learned eventually. Yeah, I learned. Oh, there's a certain, there's a certain pathology, mm -hmm. a certain pattern of behavior. That's right. And yeah, I do, because for me, again, just this is my piety, I need the words uncorrupted by your attempt to flesh them out, so to speak. <laughs> They're already fleshed out in the for you-ness of them. Yeah, they say what needs to be said. Exactly. And nothing more and nothing less. Mm. So, back to Nagel. The assertion that man has some effective role to play takes various forms. There's basically three. There are basically three. Number one, works. Number two, mysticism. And number three, reason, as you noted. Mm -hmm. Rationalism, pietism, and you forgot romanticism. I did, but there it is. So, and they're always the same three. We just attach a different mm -hmm. term or title right. to them. Right. So Luther met these in Rome, in Karlstadt, and the Swiss. Each presents a challenge to Luther's understanding of Christ and of the Eucharist. We shall follow his defense of the Eucharist, for there are any such challenge is finally disclosed. And there we may also expect to find any Christological foundations of the Eucharist and Eucharistic foundations for Christology. It's like I always tell my folks too. If you want to clear a room out during an ecumenical meeting <laughs> of Christians, start at the back of the catechism. Yeah. Because everybody will agree on the Ten Commandments who's around the table. I can get non-Christians to agree on the sure. Ten Commandments. Yeah. Good rules. Obey the law of mm -hmm. God. Yeah, obey God's will. But I pull out the Lord's Supper, especially the Lutheran expression of that. And uh, yeah, it's like you brought a corpse into the room or something. People just clear out. Yeah. And even friends of mine who are sympathetic to my confession mm. on this right. matter will still look at me with this scrunched up face and say, but so you really wouldn't commune me if I came to your church? But we're friends. Okay, yeah. Okay, sure. What's you, that? You deny to, Christ. Yeah, what's that have to do with the supper? <laughs> Our friendship. Right. Again, I love you. I love you as a brother, a sister, and I love you, but you're denying Christ here. Yeah. And so why would I? What? Why would I actually serve you to your own judgment? Well, and that's that's not that's love. the reason why folks riff on the words because they're they're then adding some wiggle room or some you know interpretive element to it rather than to just take take right. what Jesus says at face value, you know, literal. Actually, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not an it's not yeah. an allegory. It's not statements. an analogy. It's it's straight up is means is yeah mm. it, i can't get any simpler is means is <laughs> so the out the order nagel writes is of no crucial importance and the division is artificial to the extent that they are merely three forms of man's religion by which he would make terms with god there you go we're talking about man's religion mm -hmm. and that's that and that's really all religions outside of christ 
all religions are, all religions that we have invented, we've got to find a place for ourselves within the big, the grand scheme. Mm. Now, where's my place in this world or in, in this life? Yeah. So in a book that I recently read, uh, the first chapter is called Which Way to God? And <laughs> it's all about this whole question of, well, which God is true God? And how do you know which God is true God? And by process of elimination, if you run through holy texts and talk with the the holy men and women of these different religions, they all tell you the exact same thing at the end of the, of the conversation, yep. which is, well, there's a God. And if you want to get into paradise and not go to hell, there's some things you got to do. Right. Basically, you have to make God your, you have to make yourself God, right? I mean, that's the basic point. You have to, yeah, you have to basically pacify God mm -hmm. by doing enough to get, one, get God's attention, two, to maintain that attention, and three, to impress the gods enough to say, all right, you've run your course, you've run your race, now here's your reward coming to heaven. Yeah, there you go. Versus Christ, who says, yeah, I got this. It's all about me. I got this. Well, another place you'll see this in the Roman uh, practice is then, you know, the days of obligation. So you actually have to receive the sacrament right. or offer the sacrifice in their language. Uh, uh, a certain frequency yeah. in order for it to be effective or for you to have been a good, you know, Roman Catholic girl or boy, which is strange. Right. Because you're turning something that for us is, is pure gift into obligation, into law. Mm -hmm. Right. So back to Nagel then, in the writings that are particularly examined below, Luther does not carefully hold them apart so that this division is open to the charge of dividing what was for Luther an unholy trinity which to repeat is works, mysticism, and reason. Mm. All three, which by the way, take place inside me. <laughs> just, I just, I just locate them in different places inside me, whether it's my body, my heart, or my mind. God within-ism, right? Yep, enthusiasm. In fact, go read the small called articles on enthusiasm. It's, it's a great little section. Don't, I don't mind if you get a little energetic, Pastor, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Right. No, 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 no. Yes, please. No, L let everybody know you still have a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> a little emotion would be nice here, Pastor. Right. Yeah. So the harmony of Christ and the Eucharist is certainly most evident when an attack on the Eucharist is seen as striking Christ also, and both stand or fall together. When the Mass is made into a Jahrmarkt, opus bonum, opus operatum, and meritorious sacrifice, Christ is made a traitor. T-R-A-D-E-R, by the mm -hmm. way, traitor, right. or one who works for wages and is unwilling freely to give his grace and favor. And there it is. There it is. There's the nut. Why does my sacrifice matter? Why do my works matter? Why does the, the disposition of my heart or my mind matter? Because Jesus is ready to trade. So what do you got to... He's not, by his nature, kindly disposed towards us with grace and favor. That's no. not his will, actually. Um, nope. It, he's a wheeler dealer. He's a deal maker. So we, we have to change his mind. Yes. Oh. And that's every religion ever invented. Like, you got to wake him, wake God up or or ha help him have a change of heart about right. you. Well, there's lots of people in the world, Chris. I got to get his attention. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't just stand here and shout. <laughs> there's lots of people praying right now. <laughs> Do something. Wow. Oh, yeah. It's like American, it's essentially American Idol or any talent, you know, reality talent show. You've got 10 seconds. Impress me. Well, and that's where multiple deities is helpful because then if you're like, you know, really a second, second right. class act, you know, just impress one of the second class deities. Right. You know, 
Exactly. All right. And maybe he'll or he or she can put a good word in with you with the A-team. Or with the big guy upstairs, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can't worship Zeus. He's got lightning bolts and he's ill-tempered and he likes to mess with people. <laughs> but Apollo, he's available, you know. There's even some demigods we could chase after. So, I mean, that's a reflection of the truth, actually, that we do need mediator, uh, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We still seek out mediators even when we deny the one true mediator. Mm. So, it's like, that's why they pray to Mary, by the way. That's the cult of Mary is I can't pray to Jesus. Why? Well, because I got nothing to bring to him that he's going to want to take. But his mom, on the other hand, I mean, she seems pretty kind. If I pray to her, maybe she can go talk to him. I mean... It is her son, after all. Well, and she's got lots of merit, I know I'm too. oversimplifying, but that is literally how the cult of Mary originated in the early church. Hmm. We can't go to Jesus. He's a righteous judge. But we can go to his mom. She seems pretty cool. But cult of Mary evolves out of the Roman mystery cults, too. Hmm. Yeah. So, those who would earn God's favor with their works or purification do not let him give without return. <laughs> Every sentence here is worth an hour's worth of a podcast. I know. I know. <laughs> I want to say more. Those who would earn God's favor with their works or purification do not let him give without return. This is offensive to us. Well, but I still have to say thank you, right? No, actually you don't. That's why it's a gift. God expects you to do nothing in return. Hmm. But this goes back to the point then, if someone's saying to themselves right now, but what about where Luther says that we should fast or that bodily preparation is fine and good? You know, yeah, absolutely it is. To remind yourself who the giver of every gift is. Right. And to focus your attention on the food on your table will satisfy you for a moment, but the food on the altar will satisfy you into eternity. Right. Well, you don't fast on Saturday, so you're an empty vessel so that you can purely receive Jesus on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, so you're just extra hungry. No, that doesn't work, especially in our culture. Try like three weeks of fasting and then maybe... You... Well, the really the, the really devastating thing in, in the small catechism from Luther is... is that the entire worthy preparation is based upon the words given and shed right. for you for the forgiveness. Given and shed for you. And that's it. And we always say, but yeah, yeah oh, there's there, there certainly has to be more that we have to do in order to receive the sacrament. And actually, Luther excludes all works because he says the faith right. is given to you by the Holy Spirit too, to believe those words. Right. And it, it is all, it's right. all gift and gift received. Um, and our own, right. but our own practice isn't always in line with that either, you know? No, 100%. How many hoops you got to jump right. through? Well, we were studying this in Proverbs <laughs> 12 yesterday. He who loves discipline loves knowledge, and he who spurns reproof is a brutish man, or in the ESV it's translated as stupid, which is, I'm just going to be blunt, it's a terrible translation. Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> stupid is such a derogatory term in, mo in modern that's English. That's true. But the point being then, he who loves discipline loves knowledge. Now, discipline is a habit, it's a code of behavior. And knowledge in Hebrew is an intimate knowing. It's a relational word. Yada is the word in Hebrew. Mm, it's to understand, so not just right. to know. In an intimate sense, yeah. right. So really what what the pro, what Proverbs is, is explaining is like, if you love the repeated effort, the repeated exercise, the repeated action of knowledge, of gaining knowledge, of learning, and, and gaining an intimate understanding of your spouse, or of another person, or your job, or Jesus, what happens? You love the discipline. Mm -hmm. You love weekly communion. You love coming to the sacrament over and over again. Why? Because you gain a more intimate understanding of your relation to Christ. Right. Grace and favor, forgiveness of sins, life and salvation. However, 
the one who spurns correction, spurns reproof, is like a like a dumb beast, basically a brute. Right. Why? Well, essentially, you dig your heels in. Hmm. You can't tell me that I have to do this, mm. or you know, they get the, the, the I'm right, you're wrong, and there's nothing you can do to change my mind. And you and I have encountered this pastorally when we've tried to explain why we celebrate the sacrament weekly or why we celebrate with the chalice and not individual cups or whatever it might be. Or even why you are examined before you before you commune. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. It goes to the point of we're not doing this so that you're pure in heart and mind. We're not doing this so that you prove that you deserve to be there. But rather, we want you to come in the freedom of this faith in Jesus Christ, which is a gift. Yeah and then to receive his body and blood as gift so that you might know him in this intimate way and actually hunger and thirst for him more and more. Right. So we need to clear away a lot of this nonsense that you've brought in with you. Yeah, anything that gets in the way of you receiving it as pure gift. Right. Is what we're, that's what we're after. That's like, so that's why we talked right. to you first. <laughs> it's like, right. yeah. Oh, this is something that you're, you expect me to do if I'm here in church. No, actually I don't. Right. No, it's not just something we do together because we have to or out of just propriety right. or something like that. Right. right. I mean And just for the and, sake and, of provocation, since we're <laughs> we're talking about it, Augsburg Confession, Augsburg Confession very clearly states we celebrate it more zealously than the Roman Catholics do. Every every Sabbath and every holiday, every holy day. And when people want it. <laughs> and when people want it, exactly, call me up. So therefore a lack of discipline will lead to a lack of knowledge. Discipline is the repeated mm. action, mm. like exercise. Yeah. You don't exercise, you don't go running on a Monday and run a marathon. If you've never run before, you haven't run in a decade. Right, right. You run, run a block, run around the block and build up to a marathon. It's going to take time. It's going to take discipline, getting up every day and doing the same thing over and over again, getting stronger, more stamina, so forth and so on. You can't just get up one day and run a marathon. Yeah. I mean, you could, but you probably die. Yeah, your your heart, your mind, your body has to actually learn how to do this. But it does it through repetition, right. through the discipline. Exactly. Likewise, right. When I came to this congregation, they had you know they started off a long time ago. They had monthly communion, then they went to biweekly communion. Right. And so when I proposed weekly communion, it took four years. And it was, for me, a discipline of teaching, a, dis a discipline of catechesis. Week after week, catechizing, teaching, opening the scriptures to show them this is about Christ and this is where he locates himself for you for the forgiveness of sins. Let's read John's gospel a dozen times right. to drive it home. Let's look at what the epistles, so forth and so on. So then they can come to it and say, oh, we're, we're going to try this for the summer. And then after the summer, they say, let's just do it all the time now. Because now we start to understand. There's the knowledge. Right. Well, and it's not, it's not top down, right? It's not like, here's thou shalt or thou shalt not. You right. have to do, as pastor, right? Right. Care pastor, as they say, you're domineering yeah. or something like that. Right. It, rather, um, you teach and patiently, um, they, I mean, their hearts are changed by the Spirit working through the Word. To the point where they say, why right. wouldn't we? That's, of course, what we're going to do now. Right. Yeah. Here's, here's water, let's be baptized. <laughs> or, here we are, let's have right. a sacrament. Yes, we're here, we might as well. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus said it's good for us. Right. And so what happens though, as a consequence of teaching that the Lord's Supper, the sacrament, is maybe 1% our work or totally our work? Mm. Well, here it comes. Nagel yep. continues. Propounding the Mass as a work and false notions about it lead men to forget God. 
And this, then, is to make another and a false god, an angry god that has to be reconciled and an idol, or the word I use, pacified. Yeah. We got to make peace with this God because he's at war with us. Oh, by the way, it makes Christ a liar. And then the mercy of the giver is mocked with unheard of perversity when men give as a work what is to be received as a gift. Wow. And he's just quoting straight up Luther yeah. right there. Yeah. That's just quote after quote after quote. Weimar Ausgabe, volume six. And he's just jumping around inside there. And he gives us the Latin this time in the footnotes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just in case you, you question his translation. Here's, here's the primary text. Well, and this is maybe as a sidebar, but it's worth noting, we've talked about like our own pastoral personalities being kind of a mm, assimilation or a acclimation of, of our teachers, sure. right? And, uh, mm -hmm. and there's certain like Nagel idioms that I probably use that I don't, I'm not even aware of. Uh, at least from the class sure. I took with Dr. Nagel, <clears throat> it's Luther, 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 Luther. That's his teacher. Right, you know, right. top to bottom. Uh, I mean, obviously, he received him through Zasa and others. So, you know, mm -hmm. there, there's, but, but it, it's just Nagel. It's Luther quote after Luther quote, but you know, filtered through his own uh, idiom, right, through his own language. Yes, right. So it's nice to get the footnote. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not just making this up. Right. But I do. I teach this to to our new students in the classes that mm. I teach at the gym. Is if you, if you want to know whether you're learning correctly or not, and, you, and you're doing what the teacher wants you to do, after I explain the technique to you, repeat it out loud to yourself and your partner verbatim. Right. And if you can't, call me over and I will repeat what I just said to you. Because I'm repeating verbatim what my instructor taught mm. me. The faith handed down in a, in there, a way, right? 100%. I'm giving you freely the knowledge that was given to me. Now, let's act on that knowledge. Wow. And now I'll walk you through it. Because there's, again, the, there's going to be a division between repeating it and then being able to enact it or carry it well, out. And you know you've internalized it when you catch yourself speaking in the way of your of your master or Correct. rabbi or whatever right. you call Or them. someone comes to you and goes, hey, I was just, you remember we had that conversation the other day? I was just talking with Nate over here and he said the exact same thing you said. I'm like, well, yeah, because I'm just literally parroting him. That's, that's how this yeah, works. Yeah, it is. So likewise, yeah, when someone says that I quote Luther too much, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> or you rely too much on nagalisms. Thank you. Yeah, it could be worse. <laughs> Osteenisms or something. <laughs> now let's just read that. Part. Let's read that again. This is that is. Let's go back. I want to read this. Propounding the mass as a work and false notions about it leads men to forget God. This is to make another and a false god, an angry god that has to be reconciled and an idol. Hmm. It makes Christ a liar. The mercy of the giver is mocked with unheard of perversity. When men give as a work, what is to be received as a gift? Wow. So the Mass is probably foundational for Luther in his uh, later confession of the Church of Rome being the Antichrist. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. They're making Christ a liar. They're actually setting up a false Christ in his place. So Nagel continues, sacrifice there is, but as the fruit and work of the Mass. The sacrifice of prayer, praise, thanks, and ourselves is no work of man's own but is all through Christ. Oops. We do not sacrifice Christ. He sacrifices us. And only through him are we and our sacrifice pleasing to God. In the last supper, Christ did not offer himself to God or do a good work on behalf of others, nor does the priest offer Christ. The elevation is not toward God, but toward us. In the mass, we give nothing to Christ, but only receive from him. There we receive blessings from God and do not sacrifice or give to him. 
This is true of all other sacraments and the sermon. Huh. Oh, that's so important. That is so important. <laughs> Let me just finish with this quote from Luther. We must take care with this word sacrifice so that we do not presume to give God something in the sacrament where he gives everything to us. We are to make a spiritual sacrifice. Hmm. The sacrifice of ourselves and all we have does not belong exclusively or essentially to the mass. It is to happen all of the time, vocation, mm -hmm. but it is most precious, fit, powerful, and acceptable that they go together. Thus men incite and move one another to the increase of faith, which is the fountain of love. This is so important if you're listening right now. I can't even emphasize how many times you should rewind and listen to me read this over and over again. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, I think it's foundational for both of us as to how we approach uh, our ministry. Um, yeah. The way that, that we preach, the way that we teach. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm here as a gift to you. This is not, I'm not. I, right. Yes, I am, I am making a sacrifice, I suppose, in a very kind of like crude, earthly way, right? There's there's my time and there's all right, the yeah. investment that I've made financially to be, you know, well well right. taught as a pastor, et cetera. But I actually enjoy giving myself for you. Like, I like teaching because I like conveying the knowledge that I've received. No, that I actually enjoy being you know, a gift to others and like my preaching and my teaching, um, you know, you, you mentioned right, right. you're back in the, back in the pulpit again, back in the saddle again, as they say. Right. But, but actually the mm -hmm. pulpit wasn't the thing. We talked about this before we went on air. It's actually the giving of, of Christ's body and blood. Yeah. Right. You know, that, 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 that's, yeah, that's the, that's the thing I missed. Yeah. And it's gift giving. It's not sacrifice. Yeah. I, and I think it's tied to when I stood up there yesterday and I, I was gone for two months on vacation and so forth. When I stood up there and I turned toward the congregation with the elements and I started to speak the words of institution, it struck me what a privilege it is mm -hmm. to be allowed to do that. Sure. And then receiving the sacrament at quote unquote, my altar, receiving the sacrament in my congregation that I'm called to serve that at least for myself, whenever I receive it, but specifically yesterday in a very pointed way, um, yeah, it just, it was almost overwhelming. And it wasn't just the strength of the port wine that we use, but it was almost <laughs> overwhelming how much I do want to not deserve the privilege of being allowed to do this, but to just the privilege itself of being there at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's a gift to you and it's a gift to them and we're receiving gifts together. Right, is that when we're there every week and we're grinding, we at least for myself, I lose that sense of communion. Mm that we are the congregation of the saints. Mm. It's me and it's the congregation. Yesterday, mm. it was very much the communion of the saints. It was, yes, I'm the pastor. Yes, I'm the instrument. I'm the one who's gonna distribute this, but I'm a part of this. Right, yeah. Part of the body. Hmm. And some of that's just physical, right? And and then also vocational. Oh, 100%. Yeah, you're in a different part of the room yeah, absolutely. and you have a different vocation. But that doesn't mean you're apart from right. it. It's like, I haven't, yeah, I didn't. I didn't get to wear my old sweater for two months. And when I put it back on, I was like, "Oh, there's my old sweater." <laughs> oh, that 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 thing. Oh, that, that sweater. But this is. I want to go back. You to need this a sweater, too. don't you? Have AC? Oh, I guess you must have AC. No, I'm just saying in a in a metaphoric sense. Oh, it's okay, like good. Having an old sweater <laughs> that you haven't worn in a while. Um, he says, "In the mass, we give nothing to Christ, but only receive from Him. There, we receive blessings from God, and do not sacrifice or give to Him. This is true of all other sacraments, and the sermon." Mm. There it is. 
and the sermon. Yeah, I, I think the pastor thinks of the sermon as his sacrifice. But uh, but even then, I think the hearers... Or at least the place where I'm going to lay out your sacrifice. Oh, that's true too, yeah. And what you're going to do as a consequence. Well, but we hear we hear this, like, pastor, that was a, that was a long sermon, you know, I, I'm going to have to give up, you know, this... It, it's not so explicit, right? But it's like, oh, I'm late for, you know, brunch. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, yeah, I don't think you received what I did, what happened today as a gift, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and the reason I emphasize this too, though, especially regarding the sermon is because, yes, we often want to treat the sermon as preparation for mm-hmm. Christian living, mm-hmm. which there's nothing wrong with that insofar as the key point that Nagel draws from Luther is that we incite and move one another to the increase of faith, which is the fountain of love. Right. We so often put the cart before the horse on this one, which is the late Roman doctrine of faith formed by love. Modern Protestants yeah. do the exact same thing as the Roman Catholics that they love to insult and condemn and mock. Works lead to Jesus, yes. not Jesus lead to works. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that, oh, you're not behaving yourself or you're not doing what I think you should be doing or you're living an immoral life. Or What you need to hear is about Christ. What you need is Christ for you. Right. You need to be incited and moved to increase of faith. You don't have a love problem, you have a faith problem. Mm-hmm. Because you're, att- again, you're attaching your identity to things and people that aren't Christ. Hmm. That's why you love things that aren't Christ, because you believe and trust in things that aren't Christ. One mm. is a consequent of the other. So, uh, as a pastor, as a preacher, as the messenger, I need to point out you're facing the wrong direction. Oh, you're in pain? That's because you're not looking at the cross. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're you're worried. You're looking forward to death. Well, it's because you're not looking at the cross where death was crucified. Right. Past tense. Right. Why aren't you looking forward to your resurrection? Or why aren't you locating your pain in Christ, who took your pain upon Himself, so that when you look at Christ nailed to the cross, that's you. Yeah. And when He cries out in dereliction, that's your cry of dereliction. Right. And when He breathes His last breath, that's your last breath. Mm. It's a matter of faith that's the problem. Love will flow from that. Right. Much like the woman at the mm. well. Here's a guy who told me everything about myself. Well, why did she run and tell everybody? Because he absolved her. Absolutely. He pointed her to himself. Yeah, living and the kingdom. Living waters. Right, yeah. exactly. We get that screwed up so much because <laughs> we want to trade. We want to be able to walk up to the pearly gates and say, I was, not only was I a good and faithful pastor, but I kept a record. And here's <laughs> the book. Yeah. And then God pulls out another book and goes, well, that's funny. I kept a record of all the the sinful stuff too. And you're like, oh, it's just this book? Oh, no, this is just volume one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, how many volumes do you have? How much time do you have? <laughs> yeah. I've got eternity. Yeah, and that's where um, I think where it really breaks loose, at least in our vocations as pastor, is when we care so much what people think about us. Right. And and then that's right. thus we're talking about yeah. our, again our sacrifice our work what what have I done you know to be pleasing to you right why because we've attached our identity to things and people that aren't Christ mm-hmm. yeah. We've, yeah we've as as the philosopher says we have become we have treated indifferent things unnecessary things as if they're necessary versus there's only one thing who is necessary and that's Christ true that but. Christ doesn't sign my checks. <laughs> that's also true. You know, to be blunt, that's the problem. That's a, that's the temptation is Jesus doesn't sign my checks. The church treasurer signs my checks. 
So if my church treasurer is upset with me and he goes and complains to the elders and the church president, maybe I don't get a check anymore. I don't think I've ever had it, you know, that bare kind of, um, well, offerings have gone down because pastor, you pissed off too many people. Our people aren't happy with you. <laughs> right. Oh, I, I said, I don't think I've ever right. had it. Actually, I do remember having that conversation. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah. oh, it well. happens. And especially if you pre preach Christ to the exclusion of the person in the pew who's waiting there, telling, waiting for you to tell them, well, how am I going to clean my life up? Right. Yeah. It's like, well, one, you got to focus on Christ more. Well, how do I do that? Well, number one, why don't you start showing up regularly for worship on Sunday morning? That's number one. Number two, why don't you give me a call during the week and we can sit down and we can have a conversation. Right. And I can be your pastor. Yeah. We can accept some ownership of this. Or, sure. yeah, exactly. In your vocation, you can take ownership. You're that free. Mm -hmm. So Nagel continues then, such sacrifice, however, is to be distinguished from the mass itself as heaven from earth. Otherwise, we lose the gospel, Christ, comfort, and all God's grace. Again, we incite and move one another to the increase of faith, which is the fountain of love. This kind of sacrifice, though, we distinguish from the sacrament itself. Again, in, you know, urging people to faith, getting people focused on faith and, and the consequence of faith, which is love, is not the sacrament. Because what happens? We lose the gospel, Christ, the comfort of all God's graces. Why? Because we're talking about each other again. Yeah. And wow. even if we're talking about Christ in you, it doesn't matter. We're not talking about Christ for you. Why? Because these are established by the Mass as promise. So if you did take Mass as sacrifice, you could actually argue for more frequent reception by saying, if we do this, then we'll be more blessed, if we do this more frequently. Yes. Right. And there's Which, that conditional clause, if, then, mm -hmm. law. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah, you've turned the promise into a law. That's why you lose the gospel in Christ. Whereas, I know this is a Nagelism, as they're called, you know, it's to let, you know, God's word have its mm -hmm. way with you, right? So receive the gift and let's see what God has in store, right. right? I mean, we don't know. He doesn't tell us. He tells us it's a blessing right. to us. Grab some popcorn, enjoy the show. Yeah, exactly. Be forgiven. <laughs> yes, be forgiven, exactly. So then Nagel continues, God does not deal with men other than with the word of promise. Think about that. God does not deal with men other than with the pro word of promise. Works are the way men deal with men. That's not what that's not what I was taught. <laughs> right? Yeah. Works are the way men deal with men. Hmm. Or I would even add, in God's name. Yeah. God's glory has its way with us when we receive and have all good from him who has mercy, promises, and gives, and not from our own efforts. Here is the true worship and service of God, which is ours to perform in the Mass. Hmm. Well, that's a devastating conclusion to that paragraph. It is. It is. God does not deal with men other than the, with the word of promise, because works are the way men deal with men. Oof. And God's glory has its way with us when we receive and have all good, all good from him who has mercy, promises and gives, and not from our own efforts. When it's actually then the way of unbelief to try to uh, interact with God through some other means. Than these means of promise that he's given yeah right so yeah. we've talked about that yeah. at length i'm sure in other contexts with like uh, trying to find god in nature or or trying to find god's sure um uh, like i mean even we talked about the shooting i mean it could be a natural disaster and to say well that's god demonstrating xyz you know 
that that he's opposed to with the right. direction the country's going, and so he allowed this thing to right. happen. Like, has God actually said? Right. Well, I was going to say, in a more mm, positive okay. sense, we see this when people say, well, my acts of mercy or my acts of charity constitute gospel or promise. No, they don't. Mm. No, they don't. Because that still works. And that's the way men yeah. deal with men. And we're not saying that your neighbor doesn't need it. That's not what we're saying. No, 100%. No, we're not saying that. What he's saying here is... We're saying God doesn't need it. <laughs> exactly. That's what he's saying. You bring nothing to the sacrament except your sin and resistance. That's what you bring. Mm -hmm. And the sacrifice that you bring is the sacrifice for your neighbor, not for God's sake. Because notice he says we are inciting other people and moving one another to the increase of faith and then as a consequence love. Yeah. We recognize through faith in Christ that this is how God has chosen to deal with us. This is the way he'll have his way with us. This is how we receive all good from him, who has mercy, promises, and gives, not from our own efforts. Now mm. that it's not my own efforts that I have to focus on, or your efforts, by the way, now mm -hmm. I can put away all the positive and negative assumptions about my works and simply cling naked to Christ and then turn and go, now what? Well, now go love your neighbor. That's why I made yeah. you. You know, Jesus lays out pretty clearly why we're made. Maybe it's a side note, but one of the, I think, benefits for us of being what we call liturgical, which seems like, oh, formal mm -hmm. and all of that, it's actually not really, for me, the primary purpose. Primary purpose is that I, I want the actual ritual, in a sense, to get out of the way, to do its job and do nothing else, right? Not yes, 100%. Well, it's like, again, like we were talking before we hit record is I was worried yesterday about halfway through when I realized I haven't actually spoken the words of the liturgy in more than two months now. Mm -hmm. I hope I remember them. Hmm. And as soon as I remind, remember this is my job right, and stopped worrying about whether or not I would forget them, they just right. came. Discipline. Well, and that, yeah, that discipline, discipline equals freedom. Yeah, it stops being about, oh, I don't know, all the things that people argue about, like the length of the service, or there's too much or too little singing, or, mm -hmm. um, you know... Uh, just the formality. syndrome. Yeah, or exactly. No, uh, Goldilocks and three bears. Is that it? Goldilocks syndrome. Too hot, too cold, too hard, too soft. Just oh, right. Sure. Yeah, that's right. You know, and you're you're missing the point. We can't stop ourselves. And and there's always going to be some ritual. I mean, we can't avoid that. And we and we probably we do try to attach some value to it in in a sense of works. Like we did. Like we performed the mass right mm -hmm. today. That was a beautiful mass. We did it right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you're like, right. wait a minute, what did Jesus say? Oh, he said the same thing. He did it last week when, you know, the kid interrupted and, you know, <laughs> the fire engine went right. by and, you know, yeah. it was kind of, the organist messed up. It was kind of a disaster. He said the same words and we had the same gift, you know? Yes. And so you kind of... Praise Christ. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're getting hung up on the wrong thing and the thing there, if, if, it, if it is done well, like you say, in a disciplinary, a disciplined way regular, consistent, um, that it can get out of the way, mm -hmm. you know, and you're not paying attention, you know, to the, the mechanics of it all anymore. Right, exactly. Right. Now you're free to actually meditate on the word that you're hearing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and to receive rather than... And to receive, right, rather than worry about, am I saying it right? Is the Did I get that inflection just right there? Mm -hmm. You know, did I elevate high enough? You know, mm -hmm. Did I bow deep enough? Was my genuflection genuine? So forth and so on. Yeah, that's good. So let's wrap up. This paragraph, this thought by Nagel, he writes, the order is significant. Word, faith, love. Faith is not a work, 
but the mistress and life of works. Hmm. Now, he doesn't mean mistress as in an adulterous sense. He means mistress as in my wife. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the mistress of the house. Modern connotations are different than pre-modern. <laughs> yeah, so no word, faith, love. Faith is not a work, but the mistress and life of works. So there's a marriage there then. With his own reason and strength, man cannot possibly climb up to heaven. Little reference to the third article of the Creed and the Catechism there. Mm -hmm. With his own reason and strength, man cannot possibly climb up to heaven, anticipate God with works, and move him to be gracious. The initiative is God's, and the word of promise, his merciful way of freely giving. The initiative is God's, and the word of promise, his merciful way of freely giving. Now, I know a lot of our audience here is printed and framed. You know, it was primarily Lutheran, maybe, or we don't actually even know if that's true. Um, <laughs> but even among Lutherans, and like I mentioned my own past, uh, this this is so undermining. I, I don't know how else to say it. Yes, uh, that. Mm -hmm. because because it's so natural to us to think of it in terms of sacrifice and not in terms of um sacrament right, right? Of, of giving of, of receiving gift i should well, say that's the, yeah that's the way the old adam's wired that's the way we're wired to think right it's like i said before i probably said on this podcast sometime when you're with a group of people bible study coffee after church or just at your house for a dinner party or something say this or ask this question <laughs> why do you love your spouse but you can't name anything that they do for you go mm. it's almost impossible for you to name why you love your spouse apart from what they do or don't do or what they say or don't say whatever action that comes from their mouth or from their their body unless you're a super pious religious type like us we might have a and it'll come off being like a trite or a, i was gonna say it's <laughs> just gonna come off as a trite platitude <laughs> she's a gift to me but this is the way we're wired it's impossible and all that, you know, he's a gift to me. All that means is he just does a lot of stuff for me that I really appreciate not having to do. <laughs> My wife yeah, washes the clothes and I don't have to. She's such a gift. Yeah. But it's almost, a, it, I would say, can I say this? I would say as in my personal experience and my experience alone, it is 100% true that it is impossible for me to explain why I care about someone apart from what they do or don't do. Therefore, Everything that we just read is counterintuitive to the way that I'm made. Right. In an old Adam sense. In Christ, total sense. Our estimation of God is also dependent upon what we perceive he has done or not done for us. Correct. Therefore, to the extent that we know Christ, know yada in the Hebrew, that is, have intimate mm -hmm. understanding, that then is the degree to which we will claim, Yeah, I got to do stuff. Hmm. Because the closer you get to Christ, analogously speaking, the closer you get to Christ, the more aware you are of your own sinfulness. Right. Because he is without sin, and you are without right. righteousness. Therefore, when the unrighteous sinner... What we see then is that, I mean, actually, God works with our old Adam religion, and he does everything for us. He gives us everything that we Correct. need, even the things we don't even Correct. know. Yeah, he gives his son right. unto death for the forgiveness of sins, even without us asking. <laughs> right. So, to put it in a practical sense, the more that I hear the gospel proclaimed to me, I don't run out, therefore, and say, well, I know the gospel better than people that don't hear the gospel like I've heard the gospel. 
Mm. Rather, I run out and tell everybody where the gospel's at because now I recognize even, like you said, my own heart has been revealed to me by the law of God in such a way that the mm -hmm. gospel then penetrates that and says, I died for that too. The more you hang yeah. around with Jesus, the more you're going to recognize your need for Jesus, not the opposite. <laughs> it's Because mm. we can turn the gospel into a work by claiming, well, I preach the gospel. Well, I don't care. What is the gospel? <laughs> don't tell me you preach yeah. the gospel better than the guy down the road. What is the content of the gospel? Because that's what actually matters. Mm -hmm. Is it Christ for you for the forgiveness of sin? Or are you just announcing something that makes people feel good on Sunday and you're just really good at it? You're charismatic and you have a way of turning a phrase. That's not the gospel. That's a human work. Mm. No matter how good it sounds, no matter how good it makes people feel. I know. It's hard it's hard to really judge like even then a sermon. <laughs> you know, it's cuz cuz you right. want to judge it right. on on the level of like man working rather than saying yes. I, I mean ideally you would say okay, did he preach what the text preached? Is that the Jesus that that was given to us today? You know, the way that mm -hmm. that he comes to us and and namely did he preach the cross, which all scripture is oriented toward the cross, right? For the forgiveness of sins, um, that that's not right. easy to do because we get caught up in all the other aspects of it. Well, he spoke too slow, too fast, you know. Yeah, like you said, Goldilocks. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, we should come back to this. I think. Oh no, hundred percent. We got to keep going because the next page is is great too, because it's all about the verba. It's all about the word. The word. So yeah, that's good stuff. So good. I'm gonna have to reread this. I'm definitely gonna put this in my sermon this week. Yeah. Somehow this, this is, will find its way into my sermon. This is yeah, this is a bomb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A good one. So that brings us to the end of this episode. And uh again, as always, we really appreciate you taking your time and uh giving us your attention for the past hour or so and, and every week. And we again truly are thankful and grateful for you for doing that. And uh yeah, go check out the other podcast, go check out my book. And we'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Peace.